Graduation to be 18 or 19 years old again, right? To be poised on the precipice of starting your own life, your life, where you make your own decisions, live your own values, decide who you want to be. I'm so glad that we get to share with our graduates and their families in these moments today as we think about that. I'm 48 years old. Is that old? (laughs) Depends on who you ask. (laughs) I don't know. It's a lot older than our graduates, that's sure. I graduated 30 years ago from high school. But it's still a lot younger than many in our congregation today. So there's that. Sometimes, in many regards, I do feel old. Like when I get up this morning and I stand up for the first time and my feet are hurting. How can your feet hurt at the beginning of the day? You haven't even done anything. And it's not like I ran a marathon yesterday or something. My feet are hurting just because they've been used for 48 years. And so they hurt. But, yeah, just wait. I'm sure. But in many ways, I still feel like the young man in the picture. I think I was 18 or 19 years old there, standing with my sister and my girlfriend, Kelly. Before she was Kelly Mullis and she was still Kelly Hendrick. And uh, I still feel in some sense like I'm that person that's poised on the precipice of beginning life, looking ahead with all the possibilities and the potential. My life, in many regards, will forever be linked with that man. And part of the reason is because, um, you know, my wife and I began dating that year. I, I turned 18 on February the 2nd, and we had our first date on February the 23rd. And then we were married two and a half years later and we spent life together. So that year was so pivotal in my life and shaped who I am to this day as we began our life together. Um, And, you know, many of my friends who were the same age as me um, were drifting away from church because that's what many young adults tend to do in that stage of life, whereas Kelly and I sort of zagged where everybody else was zigging. And we began our relationship together and began going to church and we delved in. So in those years when many of my friends were drifting away, we were drawing closer to Christ. And that shaped who I am. A couple of books that I read during those moments that really impacted me, first of all, was the Bible. Because when I was in my senior year of high school is when I began reading the Bible for myself. One chapter per day, every night before I'd go to bed. And it took me three years to read through from the time I was 18 until I was 21. Shaped who I was. That was before I thought anything about I was going to be a preacher or anything. It wasn't like I was like, I'm a preacher, I need to read the Bible. I was just, uh, you know, sitting right there where our graduates are sitting. Another book that really shaped me was called Life on the Edge 
by Dr. James Dobson. It was a book specifically written for young adults who are on the edge of beginning life. And this was advice from Dr. Dobson about what could help. Uh, it, was a, it was a great book for me to read at that moment in my life. Now, as a matter of fact, as I was thinking about it, I thought, be a great book for our young adults, but that book's 30 years old, and it was probably 10 years old when I read it. So I got online and I looked, and lo and behold, they've updated it, and it's called The Life on the Edge for the Next Generation. So I ordered those books for the, the, the young adults, graduates, and, and I'll be giving those to you as they come in. But my words today are for graduates, but they're really for all of us. We all need to remember what it is to be young and to be charting the direction of our lives. And we need at times to recalibrate our lives, to stay on the path of righteousness. So be thinking about that as we go through the message today. I want to read to you from a parable that Jesus spoke in the 12th chapter of Luke. Luke 12, verses 13 through 21. Then someone called from the crowd, Teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. So just a side note here. People have been arguing about money and inheritances and estates for thousands of years. Jesus replied, Friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things? Then he said, Beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So Jesus is there trying to save the world, trying to teach them to look to heaven, look to the kingdom of heaven and put their stock in the kingdom's values and not in worldly things. Meanwhile, there's people coming up to him asking him to decide these worldly disputes about money. And so he tells this parable. Then he told them a story. A man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. And he said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. And if I could sum up the best advice I could give to graduates and to anyone in one sentence, it would be have a rich relationship with God. Graduates start out usually just by scraping by. That's the way it was for me. Scraping by. I mean, you, you're, you're young and maybe your, your, your parents have been taking care of most of everything for you. And then all of a sudden you're out on your own and you, you start realizing that, um, your clothes don't magically appear washed and freshed. You actually have to not only wash them, but you have to buy laundry detergent. 
And you have to pay for gas and cell phone bills and insurance and all of these different things. And, and of course, you're young, so if, you're, if you even have a job, you're not making a whole lot of money. And, and, and you're just starting out, and you barely have enough, and you don't know how you're going to make it all happen. But you're not alone. It sometimes can feel like you're alone, but you still have, hopefully, your family and your friends back home that are supporting you and they're behind you, even if they're not with you. And then I want you to know as graduates, your church is behind you. We're praying for you. We are pulling for you and you can do it. You will make it, even if it seems like it's really hard sometime. But this man in the story was a fool and we don't want to be a fool like he was. He was a fool because he was greedy and he was selfish. He didn't think of others. And I, and I feel a little bit of uh, sympathy for him because he was a farmer. And farmers don't always have it easy. They might have a good year every now and then, but there's a lot of hard years. A lot of years when they don't know if they're going to make it. A lot of years when the harv- there was not enough rain or there was uh, some kind of pest insects that came through and ate up a lot of the produce and maybe they just barely made it through and didn't really have enough. And then finally he has a good year and he's got a surplus and he's like, what am I going to do with it? But instead of thinking of others and how he might could help someone else who was in need, you know, people probably helped him along the way too when he was in need. But now that he's got extra, he's not thinking of anyone else. Instead, he simply says, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my small barns and build bigger ones so I can store up all my extra. And he planned to take it easy, to enjoy life. He said, my friend, you'll have enough stored away for years to come. But don't, he didn't realize he was about to die. He wasn't even going to get to enjoy all of that extra. It's going to go to someone else anyway. And Jesus tells this story to help people guard against being greedy. We need to be generous people. Proverbs 11.25 says, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And so always remember that God is taking care of you. Therefore, you can be a generous person who does what God calls you to do. You don't have to have this scarcity mentality. And, 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 and when you live where you're barely making it through for many years, that you get in this habit I think you've got to cling to and scrape everything you've scraped up. You've got to hang on to it because you don't know if you might have enough the next time around. And even after you finally have enough, you could still have this mentality that you've got to cling to every little bit of extra that you've got. Save it for a rainy day. And you have to learn to unlearn that scarcity mentality so that you can open your hands and be generous and give, trusting that God is going to continue to take care of you. Today, I want to challenge our graduates 
and everyone to consider being a tither. A tither who gives 10% of your income. What is the tithe? The tithe is what the scripture tells people to give, where you take 10% of the, the proceeds you've received and you give it back to the Lord. I want to clarify because even adults don't understand this, but I want to be, use clear terminology. I hear people say all the time, well, I had to stop by and, and give my tithes to the church. But what they really meant was they were giving an offering to the church. People call every offering they give a tithe, whether it's 10% or not. But that's not really what a tithe is. It's only a tithe if it's 10% of something that you've received. And that's okay. I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, you know, you've got to always give a tithe every time you give something. But don't call it a tithe unless it is a tithe. Call it an offering because an offering is a beautiful and wonderful thing that God calls us to give. But let's just use the right term. The tithe isn't just about what the church needs. Now, it's true that the church does need your financial giving. The lights don't work. The air conditioning doesn't work. We can't pay Amy Harris, our youth pastor, who's currently working in the kitchen so that we can all be in here. That doesn't happen without the resources that come into the church. But it's not just about what the church needs. It's also about what you need. You need. Because tithing helps you to remember life isn't all about you. It's also something to help you practice your faith in God's providence. That he is indeed going to take care of you. Tithing is an exercise of faith that strengthens your trust in God while at the same time building his kingdom. It's a win, win, win. It's, it's a win for the church that gets to have the resources it needs. It's the win for God's kingdom as it advances. And it's a win for you as a spiritual discipline that helps you have a rich relationship with God. Trusting God and maintaining a strong relationship with him is something that young adults really, really need. The 10 years after you graduate high school are the most formative years of your life. I cannot stress that enough. Think of all of the things that potentially happen in a person's life from the time they're 18 to the time they're 28. I'm looking at Kelsey. How old are you, Kelsey? 30. 30. <laughs> She's made it. She's graduated in, in another sense. But think of all that's happened. You graduate high school. You, you decide on a college to go. Maybe you're thinking about going into the army or starting a career. You're trying to decide where you're going to go. You are making new friends that may be lifelong friends for you. Maybe you're choosing who you're going to marry and spend the rest of your life with. You're having your first child. You're starting your career. You're doing all of these things that will 
You know, from the time you become this, this little kid who's sitting in a desk at school with teachers telling you what to do, all the way to the point that you are in charge of another human being's life. <laughs> in that 10 years, if there was ever a time in your life when you needed Jesus, <laughs> it is in those years. And yet, sadly, sadly, those are the years when people drift away from the church and from their relationship with God. And it's only then, finally, maybe, maybe 10 years later that they have this child that's screaming all night long and they've had about two hours and 15 minutes of sleep and they say, Jesus, help me. He says, all right, get your butt back in church. And then they maybe come back. But why? It doesn't have to be that way. Proverbs chapter three, verse five through six says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. Trust in the Lord. Let him show you the path. And us older people, we also must continue to trust the Lord. And sometimes we struggle. This last two years during the pandemic has been a struggle for many. Financially, socially. In the church, it was a struggle. I mean, I remember in March of 2020, talking with different leaders of the church and we were trying to figure out, all right, how are we going to survive all this? We are gonna have to shut down. You're telling me, we have to shut down church. In other words, for we don't know how many Sundays, there's not going to be anybody sitting in the pews, putting money in the offering plate to keep the lights on and to pay the bills of the church. How's that going to work? We didn't know. We said, well, we've got enough finances and reserves. We can survive for a time. We don't know how long, but even if nobody gave, we could survive a certain amount of time and then... After that, we don't know. But we're stepping out in faith to continue to do what God's called us to do and prayed about it and trust in the Lord to provide. And lo and behold, weeks, months went by and we found that we did have what we needed. Even though nobody was sitting in the church for worship, they were worshiping online and, and people were still giving, people were still being faithful. And we found actually that we were receiving more than we had received prior. It was an amazing providential act of God and faithfulness of his people. And we said, well, okay, that's great, but... We don't know what's going to be happening in the world. People may be losing their job. People may be dying. People may be getting sick. How long is it going to go on? People are being generous, but they may not be able to continue that generosity. Until we get to the end of 2020 and we get in all our financials and we say, wow, at that point, I'd been in this church for 10 years. It was the very first year I'd ever been here that we didn't come to the end of the year wondering all right, we're going to have to beg people to be generous so we can make it up or we're going to have a deficit at the end of the year. We'd have to do that. Instead, we ended the 2020 with the first surplus for the very first time. God is good and you are generous. 
God takes care of you. And we lived in a mentality where we never had enough for so long, we didn't know what to do. We never had that problem before, at least not since I'd been here. And God began to put it on my heart, this story, this parable that Jesus told about that farmer who got a surplus. So what am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'll build bigger barns, store it all up. Because I felt like God had blessed us and we had a little bit of extra and we had a choice to make. And so I talked with the finance committee. I said, you know, God has taken care of us. But there's a lot of people in the community that, that are coming up short, that are struggling. And there may be even more people coming down the road who are in that situation. Maybe God wants us to use some of this extra. And the finance committee was very wise. They said, that sounds wonderful, Chris, but we're, not, we're still not sure. We don't know how much longer this is all going to keep going on. And, and we may have problems down the road. We may need some of this extra. I said, you know, you, may be, you might be right. Maybe we need to be conservative and be careful. But how much does God have to bless us before we realize he wants us to be a blessing to others. So we said, well, we're going to test him. We're going to see, will, we continue, will the giving continue or will it taper off and quit? And so we went for four or five or six more months in 2021 and the giving continued to be there. The surplus continued to be there. And so I said, all right, now it's time. I think God wants us to give back. And so we came up with the program that we call Operation Mercy Drops. We challenged ourselves that we are going to give $1,000 grant every month for at least a year to help people that are in need. And we're not just going to give it willy-nilly. We're going to ask people in our congregation to find someone that they think legitimately needs a hardship grant or a way to help them serve people or a way to honor them. And we're going to let people from our congregation sponsor them. And so the finance committee said, that's a great plan. Presented it to the church council of our church. These are all people that you elected to oversee the business and programs of our church. And the church council said, this is a great plan. Let's do it. So we started that program in the summer of 2021, and now it is the summer of 2022, almost. And we have blessed so many people because that's what God called us to do. God said, don't build bigger barns. Think of other people. Open your hands. I'm going to take care of you. Be a blessing to other people. A couple of weeks ago, Stephen Weed gave me a book. Um, he knows that I'm, I like self-sufficiency and DIY projects. And, and he said, I think you'll like this book. It's about a man. It's called One Man's Wilderness. And it's about a man in the 70s who went out into the Alaskan wilderness and built his own log cabin and lived off the land for a long time. And um, I said, yeah, that does sound like a book I'd be 
find fascinating. So I started reading it. And um, every so often, every six weeks or so, uh, a guy named Babe would fly a plane in to the bush and land on the lake in front of the guy's cabin. And we'd bring him like things he couldn't get on his own, sugar and coffee and different things like that. And news of the outside world. And it had been about 10 months since Richard, the man who built the cabin, had been to civilization. He had a watch, so he knew what time it was, or at least he thought. But it had been 10 months. And he asked Babe what time he had. And he found out that his watch had drifted by about 15 minutes. So he was 15 minutes behind everybody else in the world. But he didn't know it because he was living all by himself. And so he had to reset his watch to get his time back on the right, right amount. And I got to thinking about that, and I was thinking about our lives. Sometimes we have to recalibrate ourselves. Because we all started out where Lily and Lauren and all of our graduates were sitting. We were right there, poised at that precipice of beginning life. And we had this vision about what we wanted our life to be. Maybe we had even this idea of what God was, where God was calling us, what God was calling us to do. And we had this goal that we were heading towards. If it wasn't at graduation, maybe it was at another point in your life where you just knew what Jesus wanted you to do and you started down that path. But many years have gone by. Maybe you've, drifted off course a little bit. Not, it wasn't like you necessarily made a, a decision to go right when you were supposed to go left. It's just a little bit off. But over many, many years, that little bit of a drift can lead you a long ways off a of course. And every now and then, we have to stop and refocus. Perhaps today is that day for you. So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to think about that moment in your life, whether it was graduation or whether it was when you gave your life to Christ or whether it was some other important moment where you charted the course of your life. Where were you aiming to go? What were you aiming to do? What was Jesus calling you to Are you still on the right track? Are there some big changes that you need to make in order to get back on course? Or maybe there's some little things you need to do to steer yourself back toward the goal God gave you. Make the changes. Get back on course. I'd like to invite all of our graduates, if they would come to the altar at this moment. High school, college, and their families, and anyone that'd like to come stand with them. I want to have the graduates come down and kneel here at the altar as we pray for them. I'm praying that God has given them a target, a goal for which to strive. And that he's going to guide them toward, him, toward it. Just as he's guiding all of us.
Gracious Father, pour out your Holy Spirit upon these graduates today. Give them your vision for the life you want them to live, goals you want them to accomplish, and the, the kind of world you want them to make. Give them a firm assurance that you're going to walk with them as they step into these new parts of life and head in the direction you're leading. Help them also to know that there are many praying for them and that our church stands behind them, and with them. We love them just as you love them. Bless their families as well as they learn to let go and let these young people make their own life. And for all of us, Lord, help us to remember who we are in Christ. When he calls us to come and follow him, help us to get back on the right course and follow him. This is our prayer today as we go in your name. Amen.